The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Divisional round weekend is here, and we have a spectacular show for you today. Nothing against any of the other shows that we have. They're all good, but this one's better than usual. We get 30 minutes of Miles Simmons and me talking about various things unrelated to the playoff weekend, and then a half hour with Maria Taylor and Hall of Fame head coach Tony Dungy with a preview of each and every one of the four games that will be played out on Saturday and on Sunday. So with that, and I say with some degree of trepidation because we had a minor technical glitch before the show began. When Miles begins to speak, there is a chance that I will not hear him. I am about to find out. I feel like I'm opening a Christmas present. Miles, hello. Well, if you can hear me, does that mean that the present is there or the present is not there? I got socks. I got socks. <laughs> I don't know what that means. I do hear you. <laughs> okay, like, socks isn't a very good gift. I had a boss give me socks for Christmas once. I was like, really? What is this? I don't know. I think that boss didn't like me very much anyway. Anyway, how are you, Mike? <laughs> I'm good. I'm having flashbacks to when I was a kid now and when I would open a Christmas gift that was clothing of any type. I, I threw it aside. And, of course, you get in trouble because you need to show proper <laughs> gratitude to Aunt Sarah because she brought you these clothes. I have clothes. I don't care what the clothes are. As long as they cover my body. I wear a burlap sack. I want toys. I want <laughs> stuff. I don't want clothes. And even now, I remember that. Anytime there's any question about what to buy anybody, I always say, get the toy, get the game, get the gadget, don't get the clothing, please. Nobody wants clothing for Christmas or any holiday. I like some nice boots. I take some nice, not that I really need boots living in Los Angeles, but, you know, some good old fashionable boots. I take some of those. Now, do you wear the boots the same for the same reason George Costanza wore the Timberlands because it, you know, it gives you a couple of extra inches of height. I don't need that. I don't know how tall you are. I've never met you. <laughs> I've never met you. I have no idea how tall you are. I don't even know if you have legs. I don't know. You don't know if I do. <laughs> I don't know. True. Oh, we'll I have no proof. Weeks you come out here for the <laughs> Super Bowl. <laughs> um, it's funny. It reminds me of when I met Paul Allen because as Big Cat describes it i have short face that for whatever reason people think i'm short based upon seeing me on tv and paul allen voice of the thank you a voice (laughs) of the vikings and host of uh the the nine to noon love covenant on kfan in minneapolis he was under the impression that i that i'm that i'm short and i met him vikings at jets 2010 that that thin window of time when Brett Favre and Randy Moss were playing together. And I remember when I met him, it was like primal. Like he was afraid because we were looking exactly eye to eye and he didn't know what to do because he thought he thought that I was going to be like six inches shorter. So I have short face. Uh, I, I don't I have no I have no I have no idea how tall or short you are. We'll find out. We'll find out. Yeah, in a few like weeks because I'm, I'm as we said earlier in the week, I'm coming to your city. Uh, was that last <laughs> yeah, week or this yeah. week? I don't know. I don't know. We're another Friday closer to death. Exactly. But but we are closer to having these general manager vacancies and coaching vacancies filled. We had 11 total vacancies entering today, and now we have one of them filled. It is Joe Shane. This is going to be one of those names where people aren't going to know how to pronounce it. Is it Shine? Is it Shone? Is it Shoon? It's Shane. He's the new general manager of the New York Giants. And we never would have expected this. We thought it was going to be an inside job. We thought it was going to be somebody from the front office like a Kevin Abrams or somebody, you know, who was acquainted with Joe Judge back when we thought Joe Judge was safe. They go outside the box, outside the organization. They pluck someone from the Bills front office, former Bills assistant GM, Joe Shane, now the GM of the New York football Giants. Well, Mike, you know what this makes me think of? Honestly, it's that kind of 11-minute rant that Joe Judge went on. And maybe what did that rant do to kind of change the shape and the direction of the franchise? 
right? Because before that, we had heard that Joe Judge was safe, that things were going to be okay with Joe Judge. And that's really why there was that impression that they would just raise up somebody from the front office. But really, after that, everything really seemed to change. You know, the, the franchise kind of bottomed out there. We heard Mara talking about, well, you know, I, I just don't feel like I can say that the franchise is headed in the right direction. And maybe that made the family and, and Steve Tisch as well take a step back and say, we've got to really rethink how we're doing things. And I think going to an organization like the Bills and getting a guy like Joe Shane, who's been not just around the Bills, but also around uh, the Miami Dolphins, right? He came up starting with the Panthers as well. He's been in different situations, and now he can start setting a different direction for the New York Giants. And I think, especially over the last few years and the different regimes that we've seen from them, they need that. So now they have it, and I think that's a good thing. Look how depressing that graphic is if you live (laughs) in and around New York City. The Giants and the Jets tied for the worst records over the last five seasons at 22 and 59. The Giants haven't Won a playoff game since Super Bowl 46. They haven't been to the playoffs since the notorious boat cruise on the day off for Odell Beckham Jr. and others when they played at Lambeau Field five years ago. And now Joe Shane will begin the process of finding the successor to Joe Judge, who was there for two years, after Pat Shermer, who was there for two years, after Ben McAdoo, who was there for two years. We'll talk about McAdoo in a moment. Shane says his immediate focus is to hire a head coach and will cast a wide net. Brian Dayball. The Bills' offensive coordinator already linked to the job. Obviously, Shane knows him. Leslie Frazier, the Bills' defensive coordinator, should be linked to it as well. And there's been some discussion that maybe Brian Flores now emerges as a possibility for the Giants. But, you know, they've been taking it slowly. Everyone's been taking it slowly. The first domino that falls is the GM job with the Giants. And I don't think that that means they're going to have a coach by Monday. I think it's going to be later rather than sooner. You know, more than a week from now that they have their head coach because Shane is going to want to take the time and do it right. The Maras are committed to doing it right and taking their time and not rushing into anything, Miles. Well, maybe they heard that epic rant that you had there where you didn't let me talk for like five minutes last week. I mean, maybe that's what they needed to hear. Because again, like I said, they, they're changing the way that they do things here when you bring in somebody who doesn't have ties to the organization. And whether it's Dayball, whether it's Frazier, I, you, know, you just at least think now that they're going to go through a really good process of trying to find a new head coach and identifying somebody that's going to be the proper leader of men for that locker room and for that organization. Because it's not necessarily just about the scheme and the X's and the O's, because just because somebody's a good coordinator does not necessarily mean that they're going to be a good head coach. Now, I think we can definitively say that Dayball and Frazier have been good coordinators. And if the Giants want to go in the direction of somebody who has experience, yeah, they can go with Leslie Frazier because he's been a head coach before. And I think that can play into his favor. But it's going to be about finding the right person who can lead the Giants into some sort of prominence. And that's not just going to come overnight either. And by the way, by the way, don't think I'm going to let the insult pass because you tucked it in at the front end of your answer. (laughs) If we're going to start pulling out stopwatches and get over-unders on how long a response is, I recall a time not that long ago where I got up, I left, I made a sandwich, I (laughs) ate it, I had some chips, I came back, I forgot my phone, I went back to the kitchen and got it, I came back, and you were still going. So, About the so if we're going to start, yeah, okay. if we're going to start doing that, if we're going to start doing that, door swings both ways. Uh, the door okay. swang into Ben McAdoo's ass a few years swang? back after two years with the team. Swang, swung, swinged. you. I work with Sims four mornings a week. Cut me some slack. Lay off okay. me. I'm starving. Well, anyway, three the door swung a little bit. So the door. It's now it's back to four, and I've already been recorrupted. The door swung into the ass of Ben McAdoo. Thank you. Uh, can we start the show all over again? Hello. Welcome to PF2PM. The door swung into the ass of Ben McAdoo, and now it's swinging open for him again in Carolina. Hey, they wanted a rock star. They got David Byrne and his giant suit. Here he comes, head full of Brill cream and a suit that doesn't fit him. Ben McAdoo, the new offensive coordinator of the Carolina Panthers. Yeah, that'll fix everything, Carolina. And I think there's just a situation where Matt Rule – Clearly on the hot seat entering 2022. Good luck hiring a true rock star offensive coordinator. Nothing against Ben McAdoo. Too late for that. Good luck getting somebody 
to voluntarily become the guy on whose shoulders everyone's job is going to rest because the the Panthers coaching staff lives or dies based on Ben McAdoo coordinating the offense properly in 2022. Yeah, well, and we'll see if he'll be letting the days go by or if Sam Darnold will bring him down, right? I mean, this is now an offense that is pretty rudderless when you're talking about the Carolina Panthers. I mean, we're showing these highlights or maybe lowlights, if you want to call them that, of Sam Darnold. They've guaranteed his salary for next year by picking up that uh, fifth-year option. Cam Newton probably not going to be back either. So when you don't have a quarterback and you're bringing in a guy like Ben McAdoo, who, yes, he has experience, but it's not like this dude has called me plays since 2017. That's a pretty long time ago, especially in the NFL. And the other thing that got pointed out by Joe Person today is we now look <laughs> oh, no, at that. God, put that down. Put that down. Oh my gosh, we're not going to be able to talk about anything else. I mean, but same this as is it ever suit was. That he wore. Yeah, same as you. it ever was. <laughs> uh, very good, very good. But if that's the suit he wore to go interview with Matt Rule, which he did, by the way, in the last two years too, to be the quarterbacks coach, and now, of course, he is the offensive coordinator. Like. I, you go, you don't get the job for QB's coach, and now you can be OC. Like, that's not – it doesn't bode well, you know? It, it just it just doesn't bode very well. I just remember at the time and, – and look, he was the head coach of the New York Giants in the biggest media market in the world. Hey, yeah. I got one suit. I'm a football coach, and I lost a lot of weight. It's a little big on me. At some point, someone in that circle, someone in that organization has to say – they sell suits in New York. We're going to go buy one that fits. Or we're just going to do the press conference tomorrow once we can get one. Or we're going to wear something else, anything else, except a giant suit that makes you look like Josh Baskin at the end of Big when he goes from adult back to kid. That's really what that looks like to me. Remember at the end of Big? Have you seen Big? Let me tell you. No, let me guess. Mike, it's another movie from big. the 80s that you not. haven't seen. You no. have seen? Have you seen Big? You haven't no. seen Big? No. You know what? I have. I have seen a musical version of it because a friend of mine was in it uh, either when I was in high school or my first couple years of college. So I know the story, but no, I have never seen that movie. They made a musical version of Big. I'm very intrigued now. I have to. I have to find mm -hmm. out more about that. But yeah, <laughs> at the end of the movie, when spoiler alert, he goes back to being small again. He's oh, still wearing the big gosh, giant suit. Uh, so uh, anyway. Panthers, hey, we'll Good see luck. what happens. We'll see what happens. Good luck. Good luck. And I thought as this went on and on and on, I thought what would happen was David Tepper would just throw his hands in the air and fire Matt Rule. Uh, just to, to prove you're not going to be able to hire a good enough offensive coordinator, but Tepper's going to let him do it one more year. And then after that, I think that Matt Rule will be, will be gone unless they turn this thing around dramatically. All right. Uh, uh, speaking of teams that are unlikely to turn things around dramatically in one year, we have the Houston Texans. This one is amazing to me, but when it comes to the Texans, nothing is amazing to me. And I say this with no insult intended in any way, shape, or form toward Josh McCown. I know Josh McCown. I like Josh McCown. Josh McCown is one of the early adopters of PFT. He came into the league a year or two after we got started. He's always been very friendly, always been very nice. However, however... The idea that the Houston Texans are considering him for the second straight year as their head coach, it doesn't sit well with me and a lot of other people, especially those people who are out there grinding away at the jobs of assistant coach in the NFL, learning how to become head coaches and not getting opportunities to interview for the job. Josh McCown has played in the NFL for a long time. He hasn't been a coach. They interviewed him last year. They interviewed him this year. What's changed between last year and this year? Nothing. He didn't play last year. He didn't work in the NFL last year. But they really want to hire him. And I was told last night that they are hoping that someone else will interview him to legitimize the concept of Josh McCown being a head coaching candidate in the NFL. And the best they could do, courtesy of Aaron Wilson, was finagle a conversation with Jaguars general manager Trent Baalke. Not an interview, a conversation. I don't know if that's enough to get the Texans to pull the trigger, but, Miles, they really want to do it. Jack Easterby and McCown are very tight. Nick Casario could micromanage him just like he micromanaged David Culley. This is the guy they want to hire. For now, though, they don't have the nerve to do it. Well, but, look, if that's what you want to do, just have some strength in your convictions. Just do it. You know, I mean, it is. It's ludicrous to think that you're going to hire a head coach 
who has absolutely no coaching experience, even if he did play quarterback in the NFL for so many years. And the other interesting thing about this is that I remember kind of after that whole thing came out about, oh, well, they may hire him as head coach. They've interviewed uh, him, whatever it is, that they were going to put him on David Culley's offensive staff. And then they didn't even do that. So what kind of coaching experience does he have? And it, it goes back to exactly what you were saying, Mike. It's about opportunities, right? Like it's about resume building. You know, who with Josh McCown's resume that is any sort of minority, black, Latino, whatever you want to call it, is actually going to get an interview with that, right? I mean, we can say this about other head coaches in the NFL too. Zach Taylor was just a a quarterback's coach. You know, Cliff Kingsbury had a a losing record at Texas Tech and then goes and then gets a job in the NFL. Even Sean McVay, with all the success that he's had, was very, very young, when he became a coordinator and then ascended to the level of head coach. And he's been successful. But my whole point here is it's about what is your resume and what opportunities are you going to get to interview for things? And so the fact that Josh McCown even has the opportunity to interview for something like this, is pretty freaking ridiculous. Yeah, there's only 32 of these jobs. This isn't college where there's 150 of these jobs. There's 32 of these jobs. And there's a certain level of experience, credentials, and skill that you need to demonstrate before you get the interview. Josh McCown has none of those. Yes, he played in the NFL, but I don't think since Norm Van Brocklin retired with the Eagles as the MVP and became the coach of the Vikings in 1961 with no time off in between, walked in the door as the head coach. I don't think that's ever happened in any pro sport. I don't follow the other ones enough to know, but I know it hasn't happened in the NFL where a player retires and becomes a head coach. You have to learn how to be the coach. You have to pay your dues. You're not respected if you don't pay your dues. You've got to learn the job that way from the ground up. And I know he's learned some of it as a quarterback, but he was a quarterback, not a coach. So I don't know. And, and look, this is where I'm confused. If I'm Josh McCown, I don't want to be the head coach right out of the gates. I want five, seven years of experience minimum to learn the job before I'm expected to do, do the job. Miles, that's what surprises me. I'd feel horribly inadequate if I was Josh McCown walking in and taking over. Right. There's so much that you don't know when you've never been in a situation like that before. And so I think that's what you're talking about. It's not just scheme or like dealing with the media. There's just all these little different things about building a staff. How's that staff supposed to respect a coach that's never really been a coach? It's a lot there, Mike. It's just a lot there. There is a lot there, and we'll see how it plays out in Houston, but it seems like they really want to do it. What we want to do is take a break, and when we return, what is Jerry Jones thinking about Coach Mike McCarthy? I've got a theory, and the stuff that Jerry Jones said today on radio in Dallas supports it, and there we go, same as it ever was. That is not my beautiful suit. We'll be right back. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Have you had a specific conversation with McCarthy about his return as the head coach? I'm not going to get into any conversations that I've had with anybody uh, relative to... uh, 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 anything to do with the staff. I understand the interest in it, uh, but there's nothing compelling me. I've got uh, everyone under contract that I want to have under contract, and, and uh, so uh, that's where we are on best interest to talk about where we are with members of the staff right now. So I've got a lot to think about regarding these coaches. That was a stunning admission from Jerry Jones. It really does fit with a theory I have, Miles, and it goes a little something like this. And that was Jones earlier today on 105.3 The Fan in Dallas. I think that Jerry Jones wants to keep the bird in the hand while he explores the possibility of rustling two out of the bush. And if he can get two in the other hand, he'll let this one go. That he's not going to just fire Mike McCarthy and embark on an open search and hope to get somebody better. Unless and until he knows he will get a major upgrade over McCarthy, he's going to keep McCarthy. Now... That's not how these searches are supposed to happen. Somebody estimated for me last week 70 to 80% of the jobs that become open at the moment the head coach is fired, the owner knows who he's going to hire. This year's the exception. 
I don't think anyone right. went into this cycle knowing who they were going to hire. But I don't think Jerry Jones acquires the buyout obligation of Mike McCarthy unless he knows he's getting someone better. And I think one of the reasons he doesn't want to get into any conversations is he doesn't want anything to, to accidentally escape his mouth that could get him into trouble because uh, what you do is you line it up ahead of time and then you fire your coach, you go through the motions of a search, and you hire the person who you intended to hire from the moment that you fired your coach. And, and I think that's on the table, including the possibility of striking a deal to trade for an established coach from another team. Okay, so see, that's exactly what I was going to ask because I got this book behind me, and there is, you know, a chapter in there about a certain no spoilers. That, was, no spoilers. that was maybe going to be, you know, in another place. And maybe, maybe, maybe that could be a target that Jerry Jones might want to go after. But I'm not telling you the name of the coach because I don't want to spoil what's in the book. Well, and, and I appreciate that. We have said this week that it does talk about how close Sean Payton came to being the coach okay. of the Cowboys, but without getting into the details of why it didn't happen. The why it didn't happen is one of those you can't make up. It was crazy True. as to why it didn't happen. And it was so close to happening. But embedded within that is the reality that you line, you line everything up ahead of time. You figure out that it's going to work. Then you fire Jason Garrett. You go through your search and at the end of the day, you do the deal that you've lined up ahead of time, and that's exactly what would happen now, whoever it is. And he actually mentioned Bill Belichick today, which technically is a tampering violation. But, hey, if you're willing to pay, and, and you look at his yacht, if you're willing to pay big money, you, you could you – could, you could, you could, I, I don't think he would go after Belichick, but my point is you can go after anyone you want if you're willing to pay enough money, Miles. Absolutely. Everybody's got a price, and so there's no reason to think that whatever coach – that Jerry Jones would presumably want to pry for another team might not be interested in a conversation. And maybe that conversation lasts two seconds, but it might be worth a conversation if there is an established coach that Jerry Jones wants to go after. And that coach is not exactly satisfied with his current situation. Plenty of stuff for Jerry Jones to think about and talk about and perhaps plan. So we just wait until further notice, as does Mike McCarthy, regarding whether or not he's got a job for 2022. Let's take a break. When we return, Aaron Donald talks about hitting Tom Brady, and we will strike open the mailbag before we pivot to the preview of the four division around games with Maria Taylor and Tony Dungy. We'll be back with more PFTPM right after this. Aaron, is that true even with the best quarterback of all time, that if you can just rattle him, even hit him a little bit, you can have an effect on him in a big game like this? Yes. No, nobody want to get hit a bunch of times. And then you got a bunch of guys that's, that's flying around and, and, and ball hunting, trying to get to you. Um, you know, I, I know he got a lot of experience and he he, he going to stay cool. But, you know, you, you got somebody around your legs or somebody hitting you while you're trying to throw the ball. And then everything ain't going to be how you want it to be. So um, that's what we got to do. So. Aaron Donald, one of the great defensive tackles of all time, talking to Mike Tirico. You'll see more of that interview on Sunday. The pregame coverage begins 2 o'clock Eastern on NBC and Peacock. And uh, bad news for the Buccaneers. They may be without both tackle Tristan Wirfs and center Ryan Jensen. They are progressing nicely, according to Coach Bruce Arians, but he also said they are game-time decisions as to whether or not they'll be able to play, and that would not be good for Tom Brady. And look, the reality is, and we've seen it before, Miles, with Tom Brady, the games where... The pass rush has gotten to him up the middle and disrupted him and forces him to look down at the pass rush instead of down the field. That's how you put yourself in a position to win, especially now when he doesn't want to get hit. 44 years old, I wouldn't want to either at 24. Throws the ball up in the air, and maybe it gets picked off. That's going to be a key for the Rams. Let's get to the mailbag. I'll let, 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 go ahead and let you chime in. We only got two questions. Go ahead. What do you got? Oh, I, well, I deleted it from my brain almost already. But I, I like Aaron Donald, obviously, you know, I, the way that he plays. And I think that certainly if your center is out and you got to get after Tom Brady, that's not a good thing. And, you know, the other guys that are on uh, that L.A. defensive front, we're talking about Von Miller, Leonard Floyd, and also uh, Greg Gaines, who's emerged this year, too. They've got a good defensive front. They put it on Kyler Murray. We'll see if they do it to Tom Brady, too. John Faust has a question. If Sean McVay loses this weekend, will he begin to build a pre-Super Bowl champion Andy Reid-like stigma that he just can't win the big one, or is he still early enough in his career for that feeling to start to emerge? I think it's still early. I've, I think with, with, with Sean McVay, I just worry he's going to burn out 
and he's going to mm-hmm. decide that he can make as much money in a broadcast booth without worrying every week about wins and losses, almost like a Dick Vermeil did, who eventually came back and coached the Rams to a Super Bowl win. But I, I worry about burnout to the point where McVay has talked about the possibility of burnout, even though he's only 35 miles. Yeah, he has. But I mean, you, you know, when you've been doing this for five years and this is the, the, the biggest stretch of success that we can say that the Rams have had basically since the 70s almost, because they never even had four winning records, you know, in a row there in that greatest show on turf. And they haven't had five winning records in a row since back in the 70s. So I just feel like, yeah, there's a possibility of burnout, but also right now he's been so successful. I don't know if that narrative is going to emerge quite yet. Hey, and here's the bottom line. If they don't win on Sunday, what did you trade for Matthew Stafford for we had all these you got no farther this year than you did last year that's the narrative he's gonna yeah I, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. we need to take a break we can talk more about when that we return, happens when we return we'll have plenty to talk about next week full divisional round preview with Maria Taylor and Tony Dungy when PFTPM continues right after this Hello, Maria Taylor alongside Tony Dungy and Mike Florio, and we are so excited to be here with you to discuss the divisional rounds. Another big weekend of football, two games on Saturday, two games on Sunday, and guys, we're just going to go down the schedule and tell people what to look for when they get their popcorn out and literally never leave their sofa when the afternoon starts on Saturday. And game one is going to be the big play Bengals, the Young Bucks going on the road to take on the Tennessee Titans, who have been off for a couple of weeks, and potentially, likely, probably getting back Derrick Henry. Let's start with you, Mike Florio, on what having Derrick Henry back on the Titans could mean and kind of what his availability has been in practice throughout the week. Well, he's looked good all week, and I think the Titans are being deliberately coy about whether or not he will play. He spoke earlier this week, and I got the impression he's been told, don't come out and say with certainty you're going to play, but everything's pointing in that direction. And you consider he only played in eight games this season, how well the Titans performed without him, six and three without him. They don't absolutely need him to advance, but if he comes back and plays like the guy we saw before the foot injury, that is a huge boost. And I think the Bengals' defense was a little suspect last week. They let the Raiders hang around longer than they should. The offense didn't deliver the kill shot when it could have early in the game field goals instead of touchdowns. I think it made that game closer than it should have been. And I think if Derrick Henry is able to go and if he's able to play like the guy we've been accustomed to seeing over the years, that that really makes it easier for the most overlooked number one seed in the history of number one seeds <laughs> to advance to the AFC championship. Yeah. I, I think you're right, Mike. I, I don't think there's any doubt that he's going to play. The question is how effective will he be? We saw Cam Akers come back. And I was, you know, hey, how's he going to go? And he was fresh. He was lights out. If Derrick Henry can give them that type of energy, look out for Tennessee. That's going to be a big help to them. Derrick Henry has not played since week nine. But, Coach, let's go through the fact that the Tennessee Titans have withstood injuries, COVID. Um, Ryan Tannehill has stood in there losing Derrick Henry. They still managed to get the one seed. They still managed to get the bye. Uh, what has allowed them to still be that number one overall seed, despite the fact that they have dealt with a lot of adversity this season? And like Mike Florio just said, might be the most overlooked one seed that we have this season. I think it really is resiliency, and it's just a credit to Mike Vrabel and the culture that he's established down there. We're not going to make any excuses. It doesn't matter what happens. We've got to go out there and play and win games. And they haven't always been impressive. I've sat there. We've sat there on the show and said, gee, they didn't look good today. They won the game, but gosh, they're not the same Titans. Well, they've made their way through that, and they've continued to win, and they believe they can win no matter what. They believe they can win without Derrick Henry but I promise you, if he's back and playing the way he can play, that, that's going to help them because now when you have to stop Henry, um, that, that just changes everything defensively when you, you go against them. And, Maria, to your point, the Titans set an all-time NFL record with 91 different players used in games this year, and they broke the previous record in Week 12. That's how far they've gone beyond 
what previously was the high watermark for number of guys used. And it's credit to Mike Vrabel, keeping the guys focused, holding it together. I think something he learned playing for Bill Belichick was never on Belichick's staff, but played there in New England. The idea that if someone gets injured, there's no excuses, there's no woe is us, there's no it's not our year. They very easily could have done that after they lost Eric Henry because we all thought, oh, well, it was fun while it lasted. They just keep pushing forward, and here they are. And on the flip side of that, okay, so if the Titans would be overlooked, I would say the Bengals would be the team that everyone's looking at. I mean, they're waiting to see what is the play that's going to be made. Uh, but we know the, J- the Jamar Chase and Joe Burrow connection. What does Mike Vrabel, their defense, have to do to slow it down? Because it seems like the Bengals turn on that chemistry, Coach. Yeah, and Mike Vrabel has learned from the best. He's learned from Bill Belichick that you take away what the other team does best. What Cincinnati does best is get these big, quick-striking plays on the outside to Jamar Chase. So I I know the Titans are going to come out and say, we're not going to let that happen. Other guys may beat us. Chase may beat us with 10 catches underneath. But we're not going to give him those one-on-one shots just to to take those uh, chances down the field. So I think you're going to see Joe Burrow have to be a little bit more patient, maybe use Joe Mixon in the running game more come to the, his other receivers, and he's not shy about that. He'll throw to wherever his matchup dictates, but I don't see Cincinnati hitting 40 points and all these, these crazy long passes to Jamar Chase. Remember that game when the Bengals went toe-to-toe with the Chiefs and ultimately won, how jarring it was that the Chiefs never adjusted, never adapted, never took away Jamar Chase, just took their chances and got burned repeatedly. And I think the Titans will indeed do the Bill Belichick thing, take away Jamar Chase, force Joe Burrow to go through his progressions and hope that they can get to him with their front seven before he finds whoever it is that's open, whether it's T. Higgins, Tyler Board, C.J. Uzama, whatever the case may be, and maybe, maybe force them to just try to run the ball uh, because there was a period during the regular season where the Bengals just took advantage of Joe Mixon and, and made the game shorter and had fewer possessions, but were successful that way. But they got to take away Jamar Chase. Or, or uh, we've seen that he can get it done. Between Burrow and Chase, they will yeah. kill you if you don't take Chase away. That's job number one for the Titans. How do you see, Coach, the secondary of the Tennessee Titans matching up with the playmakers that we see on the perimeter for Cincinnati? They've got a good secondary, and I think the key is not just, as Mike said, line up, bump and run coverage. Oh, here you go, Joe. Just take take your pick. No, we've got to disguise a little bit, uh, change it around, double this way, that way, but not give you the same look. And Tennessee will do that. Now, can they just line up and match up one-on-one with all those receivers? I don't think so, but I think you're going to see some disguise element. They've got a very good pass rush. Uh, so I think that's going to help those guys. And this is the All point right, so of the season. Start the day. Oh, go ahead, Mike. Mm-hmm. No, I just want to make the point real quickly. We are at a juncture in the season where there are 19 games on tape now of the Bengals, and the the the, the things that you can find in the film to maybe give you a clue as to what. Joe Burrow's going to do when you shade the coverage toward Jamar Chase. Maybe there's something that a Kevin Bayard sees that allows him to jump a route and gives you that turnover that breaks the game open. I mean, this, this is the time of year where you see those things happen if you haven't done a good job of, of spotting your own tendencies and coaching your way around them. And remember, Kevin Bayard's an all-pro safety as well. So either way, we're going to see a great battle, some great matchups on the perimeter. Let's talk about game two of our Saturday. If that's a great way to start it, first of all, you know you're going to see some big plays. You know you're going to see a great matchup. How about the San Francisco 49ers going on the road to take on the Green Bay Packers who have been patiently waiting? And we've already seen this matchup once. It came down to the very last possession. It came down to a field goal. And that's a great setup for what we're going to see in this postseason and a 49ers team that, although they make some mistakes, it seems as though they are starting to hit their stride, Coach. What will they have to do against Green Bay, who has been very consistent over the course of the last seven weeks? To me, San Francisco is a much different team than that earlier matchup in the regular season. They're playing more of their style. They're playing with more confidence. The key to me is going to be their health. If they've got all their guys, if Nick Bosa can play, if Fred Warner can play, if all the, the blocks are there – 
they've got a great chance in this game because they can run the football, they can be physical, and they can rush the passer if everybody's healthy. So Green Bay is, is playing outstanding ball, but San Francisco, it's a good matchup, and if they're healthy, they're going to be very confident going into Green Bay. And the one area where they're not healthy is at quarterback, where Jimmy Garoppolo is still dealing with the thumb injury he suffered on that Thursday night right before Christmas against the Titans when they were up 10 nothing and lost the game. The shoulder injury he suffered against the Cowboys. He's the key to this one from the standpoint of working around him, because even if he's healthy, we've learned. You can count on Jimmy Garoppolo to make a big mistake in a big spot, and you just have that sinking feeling it's coming, like the interception he threw against the Cowboys, up 23-10. Cowboys are working their way back in. There's the interception. It's 23-17. they got to sweat out a game that they should have won easily. And I, I think back to 2019, after Garoppolo nearly threw three interceptions against the Vikings, that's when Kyle Shanahan put him in Bob Greasy mode. And very limited throwing for the rest of that game, limited throwing for all of the NFC Championship against the Green Bay Packers, rely on the running game, rely on Debo Samuel, and minimize the throwing and try to overpower the Green Bay Packers. That's their best chance. You can't, and, and it's sad that that's the case, and it shows why they traded up to get Trey Lance. Jimmy Garoppolo is a guy that you have to work around. He's not going to win the game for you. You just have to engineer the game so he doesn't lose it for you. But he's had some moments and some big plays, and uh, he's made things happen. So I, I agree with you, and I think it is going to be a run-oriented game plan. But Jimmy Garoppolo is going to have to make a throw in there somewhere to, to win this game. And he, he can do that. He's capable of it. Just not too many of them. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, if Jimmy G would be mistake-prone then we would say that Aaron Rodgers has been flawless over the last seven games. He's thrown 20 touchdowns, zero interceptions. How would you just describe kind of what we've seen from Aaron Rodgers to close out this season, Coach? Well, his year has been unbelievable. And when you think about all the production and throwing to these different receivers and making these big plays and not turning the ball over, not having the sack fumbles, not having the interceptions, uh, it, it's been masterful. But I will say this, Green Bay has been in this position before. They've had home field advantage and haven't been able to close it out. Last year was the same way against Tampa. So I'm sure that's going through their mind. Hey, we played great, but uh, we've got to close this out in the playoffs. And San Francisco's a team that uh, I don't know that I'd want, <laughs> I'd want to play against at this point in time because they can be physical and they do have takeaway players on that defense. You know, that was a point that came up earlier this week. The Packers used to be unbeatable at home in the postseason. Then came Mike Vick about 20 years or so ago, burst that bubble, and now we've seen the Packers have these lapses against the Giants twice, the overtime game in 2007 in the NFC Championship, the divisional round game in 2011 when the Packers were 15-1 and the Giants put the dagger in with a Hail Mary at the end of the first half, the Vikings have beaten them there. Last year, they lost to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at home. That home field advantage isn't what it was. And, Coach, I agree with you. This is a bad matchup for the Green Bay Packers. This is one where they really need to be concerned about the 49ers. I mean, we saw what the 49ers did to them in the playoffs two years ago. And the 49ers feel like the same team that they were two years ago. The Packers aren't much different. Their defense is a little bit better. And that this could go very poorly for Green Bay at home. And, and it, it just raises more questions about Aaron Rodgers' legacy. Here we are, another year and no Super Bowl appearances beyond the one in Super Bowl 45. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. And that 2010 Super Bowl is what they're trying to get back to, for sure. We'll see whether or not the rest has helped. We'll see whether or not being at home can mean something again to be a Packers fan and whether or not they can get a victory over the 49ers. It's been 118 days since their initial meeting uh, earlier this season, where, again, it was a two-point game and came down to the final possession. Okay, let's move into Sunday, and let's talk about the NFC it's our game on NBC. It's going to be the Los Angeles Rams. They're traveling to take on Tampa Bay, and they're trying to do something that Tampa Bay pulled off last year, which is win a Super Bowl in your home stadium, and they got to go on the road and face Tom Brady and the Bucks in order to do it. 
Well, they, they didn't leave any question marks when they played the Arizona Cardinals on Monday Night Football. Uh, what stood out to you the most about their performance last week, Floriel, that maybe they're going to try to carry over into this week? Well, it feels like it's all finally coming together for the Rams. It took a while to get there. They went all in with the trade for Vaughn Miller, and then they lost four games in a row after they did the trade for Vaughn Miller. OBJ shows up. It takes a while for him to hit the right chemistry with Matthew Stafford. But now both of those guys are contributing. And Cam Akers is back, which is a huge difference maker. That's a guy they didn't expect to have at all this year. That takes some of the pressure off of Matthew Stafford. That was the key on Monday night. Matthew Stafford threw 17 passes, the lowest total he's ever had in his career in a game that he didn't leave due to injury. And he had a record passer rating for the Rams franchise in the postseason, besting guys like Norm Van Brocklin and Kurt Warner. So it's about not putting Matthew Stafford in a position where he has to win the game, balancing the offense. Cam Akers can do that. OBJ's provided a nice compliment to Cooper Cup. Von Miller, a nice compliment to Aaron Donald. And it just feels like, Coach, that the Rams are peaking at the right time. And they've got to win at this round to justify everything they've done since last year. Because last year they got this far. If they get just as far this year, why did you do everything that you did in the offseason? No question. They made these moves for this moment. Uh, they, they couldn't get past this round last year, so we've got to get Matthew Stafford. We've got to get Beckham. We've got to get Von Miller. Well, now you have them, and those stars have to come through. But I think the biggest thing that I saw from Monday night that's going to work to the Rams' advantage is Cam Akers and that performance, how hard he was running and how they were able to dominate on the ground. They played the Bucks earlier in the year, and they beat them throwing the football. Matthew Stafford had four touchdown passes. They were on fire throwing the ball. I know Todd Bowles would have looked at that game and said, you know what, I'm not going to be concerned about the run. I've got to stop this passing game. But with what Akers did last week, that's going to force the Bucks to say, hey, we've still got to defend the run. And I think they will go in with that mindset. And so Cooper Cup and especially Beckham become huge in my mind in this game. And also just availability could be a huge factor as well. Remember, the Bucks had to play without Leonard Fournette, without Ronald Jones. We saw Ryan Jensen going out during the game. It's just how healthy will the Bucks be? Um, availability could be a key in this one, Florio. And what is the difference between a Tom Brady that has all of his weapons and one who kind of has to rely on figuring out, piecing together the guys that he's going to have with him and knowing that he has Mike Evans on his side too? Well, uh, Tristan Wirfs had the ankle injury. He tried to return with it, and he may not play this weekend. You don't, if you don't have Jensen in the middle to neutralize Aaron Donald, you have a problem because that's where Tom Brady's been vulnerable in the past, to the rush up the middle. And you know Aaron Donald's going to try to create havoc. You mentioned Fournette and Jones. They need somebody to run the ball. It can't be Tom Brady passing the ball. The Rams' defense is so much better against the pass than against the run. When the Rams have looked bad this year, we've seen them get steamrolled by a running game, like the 49ers did a couple of times. The 49ers were down 17 nothing, and they ran and ran and ran and ran the ball to get themselves back into it. That's what the Rams' defense is the worst against, and, and they need to be committed to it. Whoever's available, whether it's Leonard Fournette, Ronald Jones, Keyshawn Vaughn, or Le'Veon Bell, for crying out loud, they need to run the ball in order to... To, to take advantage of the weaknesses in the Rams' defense. And we know they're going to be coming after Tom Brady all they can. You want to neutralize that pass rush. And that's going to be the challenge for the Buccaneers. They're very, very vulnerable in this one. It's a bad matchup for the Buccaneers. And uh, I, I'm sure they were quietly rooting very aggressively for the Cardinals to beat the Rams on Monday night so the Bucs wouldn't have to deal with the Rams again. No, Mike, you mentioned those injuries to the running backs, but I'm more concerned for the Bucks. those injuries up front. Ryan Jensen needs to be in there. Tristan Wirfs, that's a huge one to me. Uh, the Bucks in that first matchup did not even try to run the ball. They ran it 10 times. Brady uh, dropped back more than 50 times in that game. That is not going to be a recipe for success this time around, especially if those two linemen can't play. If Tristan Wirfs can't play, I would see Vaughn Miller flipping to that left defensive side, attacking that right side, and that could be problematic. You know, if that pressure comes, I think Brady can deal with different receivers being in there, throwing to different guys, but you put those backup offensive linemen. We saw a couple of plays from the uh, Philadelphia Eagles when Worse was out, and when he tried to go back in, he wasn't ready to go. We saw that pressure come, and so I, I just think that is what, 
the the Bucks need to take care of that that front five offensively get some runs going not put it on Tom Brady to throw 50 passes against this Ram defense well either way you slice it we know that for the Rams that this will be the gut check game like you guys said this is the reason you go and get Stafford OBJ Von Miller the opportunity uh, to make it to the NFC championship game and ultimately the Super Bowl that you are hosting all right so that's the game that you're going to watch on NBC we'll be with you for football night in America beforehand but the nightcap we go to the AFC and it's the Bills they're going on the road to take on the Chiefs and just two quarterbacks that have hit their stride Let's talk about the Bills first because there was a time, remember, they lost to Trevor Lawrence and the Jacksonville Jaguars. There was a time when we thought, can they string together two wins? And then what they were able to do against the Patriots, it kind of is like, is this a different team? Is this Jekyll and Hyde? Or have they just finally hit the stride that they needed? It's happening at the perfect time, Florio. Yeah, absolutely. Now, they lost week one to the Steelers, were dominant for four weeks after that, and then were very inconsistent. I feel like the low watermark came week 13, Monday night, when the Patriots came to town and the wind and the rain. And since then, they've just been gradually moving on the upward trajectory, and they, they had their best game of the year by far offensively on Saturday night against New England. And, and that gives them the ultimate boost of confidence going into another game where they feel like they're exercising the demons of the past when they lost to the Chiefs last year and they beat the Chiefs earlier this year during that run of dominance. They have to be feeling as good as they ever could about their opportunity to go in and beat the Chiefs, knock them out, and get to the AFC Championship and try to win it this year as opposed to lose it like they did last year. Yeah, they, they have been red hot these last four or five weeks. And my only question is, how could this offense that we saw just blitz a, a New England defense that I think is very, very good, how could they go to Jacksonville and hardly be able to score and move the ball? That, that's what you wonder. What kind of performance are we going to get? But I'm curious on the other side. We've seen Patrick Mahomes be very, very patient, playing better ball, seeing them uh, be more consistent. But are they going to feel the pressure? Usually when people play the Chiefs, the opponents say, oh, we've got to keep up with Mahomes, and they start making mistakes and doing things out of character. I'm wondering if the Chiefs are not going to look at this Buffalo offense and say, hey, this is, again, we might have to put up 35 points to win this game. And does that, that kind of psyche wear on them? We'll, we'll see if they can be patient, if they can play the way they've played the last five or six weeks. Well, and when we watched the Chiefs, we were watching them last week, Coach, and remember the first five possessions they didn't score. It was an interception. It was a fumble. And you're sitting there thinking, okay, here we go. And then they score the next six possessions. I, I guess the question is, do they have that room for mistaken error? I mean, it's different when you're going against the Steelers that had their own issues trying to generate offense. Could that be a difference uh, for the Chiefs in this one, Coach? The Chiefs are a funny team. They have that kind of confidence. Hey, we, we've played in the playoffs, and we've gotten down to, to Houston 24 nothing. We've you know, had six possessions in the first quarter against Pittsburgh where we don't do anything, then we score six times in a row. That's their mentality. But against Buffalo, that can be different because they're so explosive, and if Buffalo gets a little momentum, we saw what happened in that, that New England game. Um, I, I think the Chiefs need to come out and play well from the opening whistle. I, I don't think they can afford to fall behind Buffalo like that. They're too explosive, the Bills are. Yeah, Coach, you're absolutely right. I mean, I've been calling it basically a tennis match where somebody's got to break serve at some point, ideally in the fourth quarter. You've got to match each other stride for stride. You know, the, the Bills-Patriots game was essentially over when Micah Hyde made that interception and the Bills went down and made it 14-0 because the Patriots aren't built to come from behind. The Chiefs are. The Chiefs can score 28 points in a quarter if they have to, but you don't want to get yourself in a position where you have to do it against a Bills team that has shown no signs of letting up. And as crazy as it sounds, because we talk about with the Chiefs, sometimes the best way to defend them is to have slow, methodical drives that keep Patrick Mahomes on the sidelines for as long as possible. In a weird sort of way, the Chiefs may want to think about trying to do that with Josh Allen. Take your <laughs> yeah. time. Yeah. Long drive. Make him frustrated when he's on the field. Make it feel, you know, it's been nine minutes since I've been out here, and we really need to make something happen with this drive because the Chiefs had a 13-play, 78-yard drive, and they got a touchdown. We have to strike quickly, and they make a mistake. And, and, and I feel like for the first time since we've realized the best way to defend Patrick Mahomes is keep him on the sidelines, 
maybe the Chiefs' best move is to keep Allen on the sidelines for as long as they can. I agree. I, I think you're absolutely right, and I wouldn't be surprised to see Andy Reid try to play that way. Uh, I think the key to that game, as well as uh, our game, is going to be pass rush. Which front four can get pressure on the other quarterback without blitzing? Uh, that's who's going to win this ball game. Can I get you guys to pick this game? Because I don't know that we'll get to do it in our show, and I would actually like to hear Florio. I know, I know you have to do it eventually, so... I already did it. I already did it. No, Sims and I do it every Thursday. I lock in. I lock in three days in advance. I got the Bills in this one. I think the Bills win 41 to 38. I think it'll come right down to the end. I hope it comes down to the end. I hope. Look, hey, Mm -hmm. last weekend, the games look good on the way in. On the way out, it's like we didn't get many good games. I hope we get great (laughs) games across the board this week, and that'll be the capper. And I hope it goes down to the wire, but I think the Bills pull it off. As Sims makes a great point, the Bills seem hungrier than the Chiefs right now. Coach, I've been thinking about this and everything kind of tells you Buffalo. They've played more consistently in the last four or five weeks. They were really red hot against New England. But I'll say this, two things in Kansas City's favor. Playing at home in the playoffs is still a big advantage. And I think the team that loses the first matchup in the regular season has the advantage. They make some adjustments. The other team, the team that wins, you're kind of afraid to make adjustments. Hey, we... We played well. Why should we change? So I just think the Chiefs' mentality and playing at home, 29-28. Wow. Okay. Coach, I'm so glad you brought that up because that allows me to make the shameless plug that that's why the Georgia Bulldogs won the national championship. <laughs> because they yeah. lost hey, to the SEC championship. So they, they had all yeah. of the momentum. They Made wanted to win. Go ahead, Mike. <laughs> uh, Maria, we want to know your pick. You got to break the tie. I was I was literally trying to get out before you said that because I've spent a lot of time in Buffalo this year, so I almost feel like I have to pick Josh Allen and the Bills. But I'm gonna roll with you know the Chiefs being at home and also just having a championship pedigree. You know you've been there before, you've been down like you guys have said, so they know how to deal with playing from behind. They know how to play from ahead as well. And I think I'm going to go with Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs. And I'm sorry, Josh Allen, all the Bills fans. You guys have great Buffalo Wings. It was amazing being there. But I'm going with the Chiefs this year. So that's all the time we have for today, guys. That was great. We're three wins away from crowning a Super Bowl champion. Um, That's how close we are to the end of this season. We will see you on Football Night in America. We're coming to you live right before the Rams and Bucks game. And have a great weekend. Get your popcorn and enjoy some NFL football. We'll see you on Sunday. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil.